Hello and welcome to the Long COVID Physio Podcast. My name is Darren Brown. I'm a physiotherapist and I am living with Long COVID. And today we have a very special guest. We have Daria. Daria, please introduce yourself. Thank you for having me. So I'm Daria Oler. I live in New Jersey in the United States. I am a physiotherapist. I work at an outpatient clinic called Proactivity, but we also work um, on-site directly with employer clients, which is really fun. And I'm also a runner um, and a dancer. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm going to have a sip of my cup of tea because we're keeping this loose today, aren't we? So we're going to have a little <laughs> cup of my sip of tea. But like, honestly, Daria, this is not our first time on a rodeo, is it? Like, We've done a podcast mm-hmm. more than once before. So I'm actually really excited to do this one today with you because this one is just with you and me and as much as like we've met on Twitter and we've talked loads in our long COVID physio group I don't know that we've ever had like a one-on-one so this feels like quite nice and personal like an audience with today so I'm really excited for this. Oh me too when I um I can't remember a few months ago when I saw that you had started posting about your own experience with long COVID I was just going yes exactly and we're just so like just impressed that you were so open with what you were going through, um, which for me, I found very helpful. So I feel like I wasn't alone, that there's somebody else, not only with the symptoms, but um, who also understands like from professionally, like where I'm coming from. Um, so I'm so excited about this. Oh, awesome. Well, actually to, to, to throw the compliments back at you, Daria, you've become like quite a big voice, haven't you? In terms of like stateside, being a physio, talking about your lived experiences on Twitter. And it's so important to do that, isn't it? For people to have um, maybe just a, a person that they can see as being visibly transparent and honest and, and actually vulnerable um, in, in their symptoms and how they're reporting that. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for doing that as well, oh. because it's really important. Thank you. I just, I've been just kind of rolling with this in March. Um, a few different physios had encouraged me to tweet. They're just like, no one knows anything right now, but you can share what you're going through. And that's at least like, you know, an N of one. Um, so I just said, okay, why not? <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's been interesting to see that kind of takeoff. There was a day I said, who are all these people from the UK following me? <laughs> <laughs> but now, you know, we have, we've all been able to connect with each other, which is so important. Um, even though, you know, this is something going on globally, I think actually having names and faces to put together mm. and knowing that I can contact you or, you know, contact anybody else in our group is such a, it's a really great um, like resource to have. Or even just to look at other people in our group in the post and say, yep, that's exactly what's going on right now. I wasn't able to verbalize it, but you can. So thank you. Oh, the value of peer support. Hey, yeah, immeasurably valuable. So Daria, I was wondering, would you do the honor of telling your story in your own words of your experiences of long COVID? Sure. Yeah. So I first um, started to feel symptoms on March 16th when I was at work um, and just achy, you know, just not feeling right. And things were already pretty bad here um, in Northern New Jersey. I also work, work in New York City. Um, and I remember my coworkers and some of my friends being like, you're fine, it's in your head. I'm like, yeah, but I'm not like that, okay. <laughs> um, and actually kept trying to push that week. I was, we were then home, you know, things closed. Um, and I kept trying to run and like, this isn't good. Like I remember that first week running and feeling like cold, clammy, sweaty, which isn't normal for me for running. Um, and the biggest thing early on was breathing where my chest would feel really tight. I would explain it like trying to run in hot, humid weather, but it was the middle of March. Um, I would get pain in my lungs and I was just very like, I felt like I was on eggshells. Like, is this going to get worse? 
who knows? But luckily it didn't, you know, it was, I had symptoms, but not, you know, severe enough to go to the hospital or anything. And it's been interesting to look back on like my different tweets, because there was a point in May where I was seeing something that like, it's, I'm treating this now like something chronic, not, not like an acute infection. And I didn't know long COVID was a thing. I don't, I think it was just starting to come out here in long haulers, but I hadn't come across that yet. So in my mind, as a physio, I'm like, well, I need to exercise. I need to push. I can't become deconditioned. My job requires being like, having a certain level of fitness. Um, I like to be a good example for my patients that I you know, run and dance. So I, after I learned the hard way that, okay, I can't run like I used to, I would walk. And I started walking like five miles of hills every day. And I would have to recover after, but I didn't realize that's what was going on. I would just get in my car and like, damn, I'm kind of tired. That's weird whatever. <laughs> That's normal. And I started to push more. And as we're getting into June, now I could see there was some red flags going up, but I didn't, I wasn't putting the pieces together. I started to run a little bit and I would be struggling with a flat two mile like jog. And I could look back at my heart right now and say, Oh, that wasn't good. But I didn't, I wasn't paying attention then. And I would think it was like 95 degrees out and it wasn't, it was warm, but not you know hot. And, but again, I wasn't putting pieces together. So I just kept pushing, knowing I'm going to get back to work on site. I'm going to need to walk a lot. I'm going to need to talk to a lot of people. And then that first day we got back on site, it was July 6th. I crashed and I had no idea that that's what that was. I was with one of my coworkers who at this big location. She showed me around and it's early in the morning. So it's not that hot out yet. And I kept looking at her like, how is she okay? I, this is, it's, it, I'm thinking it's like a heat wave right now. And I'm, we're at N95s and just, this is so hard. And I remember she was driving and driving home. I was nauseous. Like I just couldn't, it was so hard to function, but I didn't like, oh, whatever. I didn't eat breakfast. That's the problem. I didn't have breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to find a clue somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, I'm sure you've done it, all of us like just, oh yeah, this is just a little whatever. And I also was in the clinic two days a week, which I had been doing for a few hours. Um, And that whole week, I just like went from okay to done. But again, I didn't know what was going on. It's like, all right, I just need to try harder. And I was running for work. We have a running club and I was running with them every Saturday morning, about seven miles. Um, it would crash again. I would get home and fall asleep on the floor and couldn't get up, but thinking, whatever, I'm just out of shape. It's been a couple months. I'm out of shape. It's so ridiculous to look back on this now. Um, but towards the end of July, so I was tweeting about this, but not putting the pieces together again. And how, and I knew nothing about um, MECFS at all. Um, and luckily some uh, physios are reaching out to me in DMs and saying, you need to stop. You need to stop what you're doing. Here's what you know from chronic fatigue. We don't know if it's the same, but you know, it sounds very similar. And it took a few, maybe almost a month for me to finally like concede to this. Yeah. And I had a really, really bad crash. I remember it was on August 22nd because I ran seven and a half miles faster than I had been. I was very stubborn running with a group. Um, and it was bad. Like I couldn't get off the couch. I couldn't fully talk. Like to my husband, I was trying to explain things. I was just done. And I had watched, um, I was called Unrest. Oh, no. I, do you know but, what? I've actually okay. not seen it, but it's on my to watch list. Oh. Yeah. Oh, watch that. <laughs> That is what, so at some point around, some point around the August, end of August that I watched it and went, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> Seeing her story kind of made it a little bit more. I had to stop being in denial about what was going on. Mm. So um, I stopped running 
like just completely stopped running. I danced too. And I have been doing online dance classes this whole time since as soon as the pandemic started, things were online, not hard, um, but I would get winded in the spring. There was, I had a post even where I was just like so frustrated because I was just trying to warm up and was so, so winded. And so with dance, I, it, that, and it's for fun, you know, so I could do whatever I can, not do stuff. It's fine. But um, I had been struggling learning choreography, which isn't like me. Mm. And then that was, and I didn't know that then that was in the spring. And I was just very confused on why I couldn't understand choreography because um, I've been doing this forever. So yeah, so as once I started to realize I can't, I shouldn't be doing it as much. I still kept up the dance classes, but I'm careful to not push. I've been very careful about that. And I actually added some because they're mentally very good for me and I could just take it at whatever pace I'm at. They're lower, you know, they're not high intensity classes, so that's fine. Um, so I've been trying to keep that up. So I have something that I'm doing, something that I'm moving. Um, my teachers are great. They know what I'm going through and those are all online. But then in person, um, once a week, I go to class and rehearsal and I'm trying to learn how to pull back, <laughs> which is really hard. That's really, really hard. Um, which I would say is purposely why I'm like, oh good, we're doing this Saturday morning for me. Because if we weren't recording, I would be very tempted to go join the running club right now. They oh run on God, Saturday so morning. This, is this part of your pacing by any chance? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. 100%. Yeah, I'm learning. Um, even with work now, um, we're actually about this. You know, I started, it's, I'm still saying it's a new job, but it's good. Today, oh, today's a year. Today's one year. Um, how to pace in this crazy environment. And we've, um, it sounds silly, but I was like nervous, but it's okay. We modified my schedule a little bit, just where I go and what day, because it will help with pacing tremendously. It sounds like a little thing, but little schedule tweaks um, are huge. So I'm very excited to start that next week and see if it helps. Because when I get home from work, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> I crash. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that story, Daria, because there's so much there that not only feels so familiar, but also feels so validating to hear those sort of experiences. Like if I think of my own journey, what you described there of having the acute episode, then continuing to try and get back to life, not quite putting the pieces together to recognize that this was the ongoing consequences that we now know is long COVID. And then also the, 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 the inability to recognize that maybe what we do as physios, as being physically active, motivated, passionate people is potentially making it worse. And, and then being so grateful to the knowledge that's being passed to us by other communities of people living with chronic health conditions like the MECFS community, because there are some parallels between the conditions and we can learn lots from them. Um, I'm very grateful for that and learning to stop, rest and pace. And, and also I loved your, your, your honesty there about how difficult that is. And the, the boom and bust that we go through because of it that boom bust is real <laughs> even <laughs> oh man even on new year's eve day so just like two days ago mm -hmm. I'm home doing my patient notes i'm like i feel good a couple of days leading up weren't good i'm like you know what maybe i'm gonna go for a walk or even run like this is in my head all right and then i'm finishing up the last note which i will say my last two were very cognitively draining um, to do, which I keep forgetting that that's a thing I have to be aware of. And I just went, I'm done. Nope. And I just literally was sitting on the floor for the rest of New Year's mm -hmm. Eve, where a couple hours earlier, I was, you know, fine. And it's just, um, for me, at least it's easier with the with physical exertion to say, all right, I need to pull back. But I forget that with the cognitive and how much I can go from being up and feeling good to just 
nope, that was way too much. Oh, it's so resonant. It really is. And I think that, you know, to clarify that, you know, it's, it's your, your, I'm presuming it's your fatigue. That's the symptom that yeah. is being exacerbated by different exertions. And that can be physical, cognitive or mental exertion that's set, that's triggering the, the, the fatigue again. Um, but I know that from my own experience that with that, the kind of exacerbation of symptoms because of exertion, similar to, or the same as post-exertion malaise, introduces so many other symptoms as well like you talked about the the difficulty with processing and and memory the the brain fog symptoms like that that's really real isn't it oh the brain fog it's this is so crazy to me um growing up my family would always tease me because I could remember every dance recital who did what dance for my cousins and my sister the costumes the music choreography just that stuff's in there I was we so good at birthdays and Mm -hmm. lots of random stuff and there was a day where I was at the little grocery store around the corner I go to all the time. And I swiped my card and was like, what's my pin number? Oh, yeah. And it, it's a very meaningful number to me. Like there, I sh- it's a number I've known since I was a child. Like I shouldn't be forgetting this number. And I'm just going, oh my God, oh my God. Like, how? and I didn't like, I just run out of credit. Like I have no idea what my pin number is right now. And there's been so many little things like that where I'm like, <sighs> and I don't know, um, certain things you can have the strategies, like keeping a list of like important numbers and things. But sometimes something just happens in the moment. I'm like, I, what is the name of that special test? What is that muscle? Things I've known, you know, for so long now. Or yeah, like, like um, the choreography of things where I have to be on for a while and just keeping up with stuff. It kind of, there's a cumulative effect with it. And it's hard because working, you don't always know what are going to be the harder days or just things that happen in life. You have no idea. Um, the day that I said I had a really bad crash last time I ran far was Saturday and that Monday. So I was still recovering, worked, we were recording a podcast for work. My dance teacher was the host. I was super excited about or the guests. Are, I was super excited about it. Some other stuff going on. And then my husband had a horrible migraine. Like we had to go to the emergency department oh, wow. during this pandemic, which we've done. Like he's okay, but not knowing that was going to happen. And, and I'm sit- I wasn't allowed in the hospital because of COVID. So mm-hmm. I'm just sitting outside on a bench on my back, like, all right, don't get worked up. Try to keep everything low because that might, you know, set stuff off for the, who knows how long. Yeah, 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 completely. So for you, you've you've tried your hardest, haven't you, throughout all of this uh, episode or period or journey with long COVID to continue to do the things that are meaningful to you. And, you know, your, your hot topic for this podcast is being a dancer and running. And it sounds like you've you've continued to try and do those things. How has it been for you being a runner and being a dancer, nav- learning to navigate that maybe those things as important as they are to you have been negative for your health and, yeah. and your and your symptoms. This is, it's so difficult. Um, so I have been running, I'm 36. I've been running since I was 14 and I started dancing when I was three. Um, so this is like what I've been doing forever. And I'll start with running. Um, and so I'm running forever, but I go through waves if I'm training for a thing or just running just to enjoy it. And I, I just like going out, not checking my, you know, my wearable or whatever, just enjoying it. And when I started um, working for activity, I joined the running club and like, oh, we're serious. Like everyone's run multiple marathons. Um, and I was like, well, this is fun. I haven't had this in a long time. And I like, I was working, I was working hard, but it was so good. And then I got sick and like, well, but I just was, I had all this momentum. Things were starting. I had some races planned. Um, 
And I'm like, but I just gained all of this stuff. I've been, you know, working on this forever and I've been getting better recently. I don't want to stop, which it doesn't matter. I'm not, obviously I'm not a professional runner or anything. It really doesn't matter. But for me, it's something I really enjoy doing. And it's one way it's a good stress relief for me because I can just go out and run and not think about anything. If something's going on or sometimes I practice choreography in my head, or if I'm giving a presentation, I'll, you know, run it. Um, I love being outdoors, just watching the seasons change. My husband thinks it's funny that I know who has what Christmas decorations. I'm like, but I pay attention to this, you know? <laughs> I know where all the dogs are. I know the dogs' names. <laughs> it's just, it's it's a whole experience for me. Um, and so I was very, very, very stubborn <laughs> to stop. Mm. And it literally took not being able to get up off the couch. Um, so for and you, now, it was, it was that it was so meaningful meaningful for you that you 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 kept pushing through and doing it until you you couldn't do it anymore right and even with the running club you know I've made friends I have people that I I hadn't run with people since high school um and it's great it's a great time to connect with people anyone who runs will like you know understand this um you're sharing this common thing and like well I don't want to give up seeing my friends now they're my new friends (laughs) and it's part again part it, it ties in with what I'm doing for work um but now I'm a little nervous and scared to run because I don't want to crash so I've only run one mile, I think six or seven times since August, which is nothing. Um, and I'll feel good staying, keeping the pace. I haven't run since I think Thanksgiving. Um, but then I'm just kind of, am I okay? Mm-hmm. Can I do the rest of my day? Should I sit on the couch for the rest of the day? I don't really, I can't do that because I have stuff I have to do. So that's been really hard. And I, we, um, my husband and I just did a little walk jog some point this past week with the dogs, like just like around the block. Like, oh, it feels so nice to be outside. It feels nice to be running with Roxy, just metal running buddy. But then I'm always, but what's gonna happen? Because as you, you know, you bring this up, I think, so well that how unpredictable this is. So it's not like if I was training and I know where, what level I'm at, I know the pace I can do, I know the distance I could do, and I have no idea. Yeah. So that's been that's been really challenging on the running side. So Absolutely. um we have on workplace, that's where there's, we have a group for the running club and I don't go on it just cause it kind of, it makes me sad cause I miss it. And I'm in a Facebook group for endurance athletes with long COVID. Oh, right. and I don't, I don't do a lot in that group. Um, but I read things and like, one, you're seeing people that you want to say stop. <laughs> um, but then also like, I want to go back to doing stuff again, but not yet. I find that Still really waiting. fascinating, Daria, that you say that you want to tell other people to stop, although it sounds like that's been really difficult <laughs> for you as well. Yes. <laughs> because yeah. I think one of the key things with this is that we know that um, the, the lessons that we've learned from other health conditions, particularly MECFS, is that exercise, particularly a, 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 a a, no, a normal rehab approach to that, which is like gradually building up within your tolerance levels, is completely detrimental. And so the, there's no evidence at the minute in terms of what you can and can't do in the mm. context of long COVID, but the, the guidelines are suggesting that extreme caution is needed for exercise. And it sounds yeah. like for you, exercise is a real trigger, not only for your physical symptoms in terms of your fatigue, but also your cognitive symptoms in terms of your, your thinking and your memory. And, and obviously when you can't do those things, it, it sounds like, don't mean to put words in your mouth, but it takes away (laughs) your role and identity and your, you. Oh yeah. And even now, um, because with my, with work in the mornings, I meet so many new people and then, you know, obviously new patients in the clinic too. And I'm just like, do I say I'm still running? Like when I don't want to get into long COVID, it's just not the, you know, like the appropriate time. Um, like, yeah, I still run every day. <laughs> it's, it's so hard. <laughs> it's just, 
I, it's, it's such a weird thing because I'm, it's just, it was part, it was part of my day almost every day, just go mm. out and run. Um, and it's just, it's so, it's a weird thing to get used to now. Like I'm literally, there's a window right in front of me, like, all right, not, but yeah, it's, it is a big trigger. And I know we've seen things with what percentage of heart rate max to be at, which for me would be like, when you go into 55%, like nineties, <laughs> that's going up the stairs. So I just, yeah. the few times I've gone out, I just go slow in a mile and I make myself stop at a mile. Um, is that something you've tried to do then? Because I know that in uh, uh, the advice for people with uh, MECFS is that to try and uh, manage or mitigate post-exertion malaise uh, to use heart rate monitoring. Um, so, for example, like the physios for ME group have got a really great link on their website, haven't they, about how yeah. to um, monitor your heart rate and keep it below a certain level um, to try and mitigate that. I know for myself, that was something that I, I did. Um, I found it really useful when I was really bad to keep my heart rate below. I, I tried to keep it below a hundred, uh, but I was finding my heart rate was shooting up all yeah. over the show. And I, I, I've got an eye watch. So I use my wearable for that. Uh, but in, in day-to-day life, like on my return to work, the practicalities of that weren't there because yeah. I work in a clinical environment. I can't wear a watch. So I can't monitor my heart rate at work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I've, I found heart rate monitoring really useful, but also really difficult to do because either it, it didn't fit in with my day, which is my heart rate was going up stupid levels, like even just using yeah. the stairs because I live on a second floor flat with no lift. But then also you can't always wear your wearable if you're clinical, for example. Right. And for me, um, it's, it's a nice thing to be aware of. I'm like, I can't stay under that range. It's just not possible when I'm, I'm it's so hard to explain it, but I'm in the mornings I'm walking a lot as part of my job and like it would take me forever to get everywhere it's not that I'm walking fast but if I slow down like and even in the clinic you know sometimes you just have to go grab something or get you like you so I'm learning how to sit when I can I'm learning how to find when are there times that okay I could take a minute here as um, I'm also an athletic trainer and as an athletic training student, we weren't allowed to sit in the athletic training room. If there were athletes in there, you weren't allowed to sit, which is oh, wow. crazy. Yeah. I'm still working on breaking that. So I remember <laughs> I, like, I think now if I have, you know, Max, I have one or two patients. I can sit like, why am I standing? If I can easily sit and, you know, and help them with things, then I will make sure I sit down or in the mornings. Like if I have just a point where I'm going from place to place and just take a second, I'm trying to do that where it's, I can't stay within that, that ideal like heart rate range, but at least it gives me a moment to like come back down. Or I just wore last week, I think one day, my garment in the shower and went, oh, that's a, that's a high heart rate. Okay. <laughs> Shorten the showers, maybe get a chair. I'm still, I know I should. Yeah, those are the things. There's so many practical things that we can do and they sound so simple, like heart rate monitoring, like sitting down in terms of pacing, whether that be in our working day or in the shower. And then putting those into practice is Mm. actually sometimes either impractical or just really difficult to do. I'd really like to ask you about your your work environment because you said that there's been some modifications um, that you've, you've, you've asked for. I wanted to ask you how that felt to ask for those and then also what those modifications are and whether you've had the chance to try them out and how they're doing. Yeah, it's so funny because everyone I work with, they're amazing. And obviously we're all in healthcare, so understand things. But I was just like, because we're so used to just pushing and just whatever comes at you, especially as a runner, um, just keep going. You just keep pushing. That's what you do. 
Um, but it's literally every morning I'm at a different location and some are small and some are gigantic. And it used to be the two, um, two of the really big locations were not on my clinic days. So three mornings a week I'm working and then I come home versus two days I'm working and then I go to the clinic and then days changed and two big locations were then on clinic days. And I didn't realize at first, like, oh, this is making a difference. It's a whole cumulative effect of what I'm doing all day. I'm walking a lot in the morning. I'm talking to tons of people. I'm interacting with a lot of people. I'm helping them mm. exercise and things. And it took a little bit to realize that that's what that is. That's why. So I asked, can we switch which days I go to which location? So this way the smaller locations are on the two clinic days. And everyone said, okay. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is like, I've been so happy. And it's not going to start until mon this Monday. So oh. we'll see. But I'm curious too, because I have my Garmin and we are running through work, the PT health study, which I never look at our dashboard to really look at my like data because I don't, it's going to drive me nuts. I only look at my app, but I'm curious to see if that makes a difference, if there's any changes in anything. Um, Can you because tell us about that study? What, what is the PT oh, health study? Oh, this is neat. Okay. This is, and this is in terms of, I'll say this in terms of pacing, something I would love to be a part of, but in terms of prioritizing, it'd be a lot. So through work, we have these garments and they were using them. Garmin is in the their, um, yeah. Yep. They were using them to work with like the strength and conditioning clients to help um, better, I want to better like do their exercise programming. So say today's supposed to be your hard day, but we can look at your data and say, you know, whatever happened, it's not good. Modify it. So this way things are a little more, more specific to you and working with what's going on. It's really neat. Um, and then they, we started looking at being able to predict illness, seeing changes in the data for the Garmin, like the body battery and the stress score using um, heart variability, that changes are coming up before the person's symptomatic, be it COVID or something else. And I've actually picked up on a couple of people. Um, so it's really interesting. So there's anyone can sign up if you have a Garmin to people can look at your data. And if you're a physio, you can join on to do more and actually start to look at other people's data trying to pick up on things so yeah there's a whole really cool dashboard that we have and you can pull stuff up okay. um one of my friends who's an athletic trainer is in the study and it, he actually had gotten a call that there's some little flags going up and then a few days later he tested positive for covid wow. so that's been happening it's really cool so that study is that because obviously you're based in the united states is mm -hmm. that a u.s specific study or is that for anybody anywhere in the world that can sign up do you know that's a good question. I'm not sure. I just kind of assumed anybody, but I'm honestly not sure. Oh, oh well, maybe what we can do is we can put a link to it underneath this uh, YouTube yeah. video and people can figure that out. And so can we. Like one of the things that I'm, I've found really interesting is um, I've also used wearables, as we've mentioned, for like heart rate monitoring. And I've also used apps. Uh, so I was encouraged to use an app called Bearable. Um, and I was using that app, although one of the things I found really difficult with using any kind of uh, wearable data tracking or apps was that whatever was happening at that time, there wasn't really consistency in the duration to when my symptoms might be affected, because I found that there was sometimes I would do too much cognitive work. And I would get these vice-like headaches, but it would be instantaneous. However, it would be the next day that I'd get like the physical fatigue, like someone like it, someone described it as like full body shutdown. Like that would be the next day. And that could take a couple of days to get better. And for me, the, the tracking was amazing. And I felt like I was getting a bit of a gist as to what my triggers were, like my heart rate going above 130, instantly brought on within 24 hours 
that full on body fatigue. And if I pushed it too hard, mm. I got pain in my thighs, like in my quads and my, my femurs, like the, the oh. thigh bones felt yeah. heavy. Like it was really weird to experience, but that was the post-exertion malaise all the symptoms being yeah. exacerbated by exertion. But because of the unpredictability of it and also the, the, uh, the, the episodic nature of it really, it, I found that wearables were limited at times because I had to actually know my symptoms and my triggers to recognize the patterns. And yeah. I had to go through so many yeah. ups and downs and peaks and troughs and make the mistakes so many times to figure that out. Yeah. So it, yeah. it actually made, it made it a bit of a process to get on top of using technology and wearables, which yeah. was using energy I didn't have at times. <laughs> yeah, that, and that's, yeah, and that's the thing, like for me with our study, I don't go on the dashboard to look at the more detailed information because I'm like, I'm sure I could find more patterns and things, but that's so much. Um, and I've been trying to be aware of with the Garmin, just what's my stress score, it's my body battery. And sometimes I'm like, I don't, why? Why is it like this? I don't under, I don't see what, how, and then so some of my coworkers that look more of like bigger picture, but I'm like, but also in the moment, I kind of, if I have to make a decision on something, like, should I go walk today? Um, mm -hmm. I, I want to try to use that data as best as I can. Um, I'm going to back up a little bit too with dance. Cause I've been trying to use my Garmin when I'm dancing. Um, yes. So when I'm in the studio, cause that's when it's hard to not push because everybody's there and it's so much fun. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I watch my heart rate and I sort of arbitrarily am saying 125, 130, not really based on anything. Um, but all right, that's when I need to start slowing down a little bit. Or in dance, we call it marking it. You're either doing stuff full out, like 100% or marking it where you're not doing everything all the time, which is important, even when you're not sick. Um, so I'm like, all right, fine. And then you'll see, like, I'm not as big with my movements. If there's turns, maybe I'm not turning. If there's like a lot of intricate little footwork, I'm not going to do it all. Because getting home from dance, so I'm there for three hours on Sundays. I just know I'm doing nothing the rest of the day. We're usually, before COVID, I would get home and oh, wait, I'm going to finish whatever work I have to do. And I've learned to just, nope, just don't do anything because I'm going to be up early the next morning. Um, so I think it helped. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I honestly don't know. I'm assuming it could be worse. Yeah. So um, that's been hard it, with, um, about to, yeah, with dance in general, this has been, um, that's been really difficult too. Besides, so there's a whole exercise component of it, which I love and it's fun. Um, but as an artist, this has been so hard for me because in general, this is how we express everybody. You know, if you're an artist, that's how you express yourself. You have whatever your medium is. That's how you help process things. That's how you communicate. Um, me and Simone had a really good quote that an artist's duty is to reflect the times. We're in crazy times. And I'm just, since March, like, I can't do what I want to do. I have pieces in my head I want to work on, very timely things. Um, or even just like when I do burlesque, it's fun. It's so much fun. Yeah. And I don't like I can't do it and um I like what Sue was saying when she found the watercoloring and um oh yeah from the last podcast yeah, yeah. she was finding new yeah. ways to channel that creative energy wasn't yeah. she yeah which is in my sister um where she was diagnosed with breast cancer a year and a half ago she's doing okay now but she had found I'm um, painting watercolor during chemo which was great for her to express herself even good for her therapy wise because she had paresthesia in her hands and I was kind of went in the spring, fine I'll try something else I'm like I hate this this isn't what I do oh, <laughs> I'm a performing no. I'm a performing artist. I move yeah. and, and it's a big part with dances. Like you're really challenging your body and your art is limited by what your body can do. Um, so I always get frustrated being limited just structurally some stuff that like my hips don't turn out great, whatever, but this is a whole other level. And like, I literally don't have the, 
energy to finish choreographing something. The few times I posted videos since I got COVID that, that took a lot. Um, I, even outside of like, I would, I want to perform and that's not, you know, it's not really going on right now anyway, but when performing comes back, like I don't, I'm not going to be physically ready to perform. I'm sure I could do something, but you always want to be um, like respectful of your audience. And if I'm not ready to be on stage, like I shouldn't be on stage. And it's just, it's been so hard because I feel like as an adult, I really embraced being a performing artist and having a way to express myself and learning how to like, how to interact with an audience, which is something I used to hate doing and now I love doing it. And collaborating with other people, with other friends, whether they're dancers or singers or a magician even, which is really cool. Um, and now I don't have that, literally I don't have any of that. Mm -hmm. I can do my online classes, which is fine. It's important to work on the technique aspect of what you're doing, but to actually be able to express myself is, it's just not there right now. And I've been joking, that's what Twitter's for. That's my new <laughs> art. <laughs> Do you know what, Daria? Like hearing you describe what dance and creativity means to you there makes so much sense as to why, even though someone may recommend to say, look, you just need to stop exercising. You just need to stop doing it because then you'll be better. It makes so much sense why it's been really challenging for you to do that because it's integral to your life and your identity and your creative yeah. productive outputs and your sense of self. So, you know, when we're thinking about like person-centered care, this is going to be so important when we think about how services, <coughs> excuse me, for people living with long COVID that are going to be set up. Yes, there may be guidance and recommendations, but how are we going to work with that in terms of people's identities, people's meaningful activities, people's joys in their lives? And sometimes it sounds like there needs to be a bit of a balance. And for you, it sounds like you've been mm. trying to strike that balance and hopefully you've been getting there successfully. Yeah, it's hard. It is very hard. I still... I'm, I'm sure other dancers and choreographers are like this too. Like something just inspires you. Like you get an idea. Sometimes you're struggling and like have nothing. And sometimes you just think or hear something. Yes, that's it. And like go with it. And I've had that happen still. I'm like, and now I'm tired. And now I'm really winded or symptoms are happening. And I'm like, all right, I need to stop. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, you know what? I was thinking of something because I wonder that you know we've learned a lot from other people with other health conditions mm -hmm. in terms of like some of our symptoms like fatigue I wonder if there's lessons that can be learned in terms of other people that have experienced disabilities in terms of creative outputs and dance mm -hmm. because there are obviously many ways of being creative and dancing and it doesn't all require two arms two legs or being able to walk and so I wondered mm -hmm. if there might I don't know I, I don't know of any but whether there are groups out there that are specifically for dancers that experience disability yeah I've come across a little bit over all these years like oh I wish I could remember now someone had posted it might be on Facebook um sort of like a wheelchair mm -hmm. but it it, it doesn't look like a typical one. And it's supposed to be able to have like a really small turning radius. There are things, attachments, so you can have props. Like, so this way, not just a dancer, but an actor or singer, somebody on stage can easily um, move around and it's like not as cumbersome. And it doesn't look as obvious as this is a wheelchair that might not fit in with whatever the, whatever the scene is. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's so hard though, because like, so this is funny. What I'm remembering right now, when I was a kid, one of our dance teachers, the owner of the studio, um, I think she had a heart attack and I was really young, but anyway, they would do a big staff number at the recital at the end of the year. So they had her in a rolling chair and they did a kick line and they just like pulled her forward in the rolling chair doing the kick line <laughs> or like, um, 
I'm trying to remember she, at this point now she was much older and like couldn't really dance and the theme was like tv or something and in between some of the numbers she was the energizer bunny she would have the costume on and like the commercial and just come out and just go across the stage so they were keeping her in the show even though she wasn't you know at like this like full capacity but then i'll say on the other end of it it's just like that's so disheartening <laughs> you know like it's a thing that's great like if you can still like we've had kids when i taught they broke a, their leg or whatever and you find ways you know with a temporary disability to keep them in um but then stubborn me is just like it's not the same mm. not the same that's the thing. acceptance and commitment isn't it that's the challenge yeah. being able to accept that bitter pill that things are different it's had me thinking about yeah. two two particular people um one and i'm i'm my, my, my brain is not functioning at the same level today and I've forgotten his name and I'm going to have to Google it after we've done this. But he was a performer, uh, a dance performer at the World Physio Congress in Geneva and he danced on stage and I've forgotten his name and he lives with physical oh. disabilities and he was absolutely oh. amazing. And then I remember also there was a, a patient I had a few years ago um, who was uh, going through anti-cancer treatments, who was a dancer and put on a particular show. And I think it was at Sadler's World maybe, or maybe at the uh, another theatre, uh, forgotten the name of it, in uh, Covent Garden, um, which was all about um, dance within different bodies. Uh, so focusing oh. on people that may have disabilities. I'm going to have to look these up, oh. but it's got me thinking about it and, and how... There's so much that we can learn from other people um, around that and, and looking at accepting our limitations for now and, and hoping uh, and being optimistic that those things change for us in our symptoms, but how we can progress and, and still have those creative outputs, uh, even yeah. with our current limitations. Yeah, I am. One of the things for me, I think that's made this so hard and like why I've been so stubborn uh, with dance and running and trying to do things is I was going like a hundred miles an hour when I got sick, it just life just like literally took off like last year in December. Um, and I had just, and I've been in performing companies, which I absolutely love doing, but I was just starting to have to try to be a solo artist in burlesque, which is intimidating. They're amazing, amazing performers. And I, in January I had performed at this big festival that I have no idea how they accepted me. <laughs> I have no resume. You know what I mean? Like I don't have this whole body of work, um, as a solo artist in burlesque. And I was like, this is fantastic. Like, this is, I can't believe I'm here. Like I, the whole time I was just so excited to be in that space. And everyone was like so nice and people were super helpful too. Cause I clearly was like so new to, to all of this. Um, and I was started to go to more shows in the city just to meet people and everything. And I just felt like I had all of this momentum that just completely stopped. Mm. Um, like, but, and it, that's, that's the one that's been really hard to like, hurry. And it, for better or worse, like, I mean, there aren't shows going on right now anyway, so it's not that I'm missing out on those live opportunities, but that's made that really challenging too, where I think if this had happened at a different point where things were just had how they had been, it might've been not as like, not as harsh of an adjustment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying. So, because you, you said like the reason you've been so stubborn, <laughs> to use your word, around persisting with being physically active and doing uh, running and dancing in, in the capacities that you've been able to. So, is it right that it's because of this sudden shift in your functional capacity, the sudden shift and presentation that you've been kind of almost fighting against it to yep. say, I just don't want this in my life and yep. I'm desperate to be better. Yep. Yeah, it is. I mean, I'm naturally a stubborn person. Anyone. Really <laughs> I'm very stubborn, which honestly has worked well for me for the most part until now. Um, even um, I had mono, I had mono right when I literally weeks before I started PT school 
and um, like eight weeks later ran a half marathon. That was stupid, but whatever. I was stubborn. I was training for it. So I wanted to do it um, and crashed, but then it was fine. Um, yeah. It just, I love running and dancing so much and like put yeah. so much, it's not just the immediate, like, oh, I'm working on this dance right now for the show. It's, it's stuff I've been working towards since I was three years old. There's everything builds. And it's so frustrating to say, I'm going to lose all or have already lost so much of this fitness. Some of the technique is still there. Some stuff will always be there, but it's just to take all that time to build that back up. I've been thinking with running, like hopefully whenever I can really run again, like how long is that going to take me to get back to 10 miles? (laughs) That's a long time. And that's the thing, isn't it? Because that's the physio in us then, isn't it? Which is the, 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 the years of um training and i'm going to use the word indoctrination into (laughs) avoiding deconditioning to then be in a position where we need to purposefully decondition (laughs) to not exacerbate our symptoms um is a real trade-off that we as physios are just not used to and find it so against the grain (laughs) and i think and also what makes that so hard is like any physio knows this, that we preach about how important it is to exercise, to prevent having all these conditions like that we see our big risk factors with COVID and all these other illnesses um, to have, you know, like a healthy body weight, to have a good heart rate and good blood pressure and keep your bones healthy and all these things that I talk about every day with my patients. And like, but what happens to us? Because that's it, like bone health is just a thing I've always been aware of as mm-hmm. a distance runner who was overtraining when I was younger. Um, and well, now what happens if I'm not doing impact, if I'm not, you know, stressing my bones, is that okay? Or, is, and you know, I've been watching my heart rate. It's, it's still fine, but I liked when it was in the low fifties, much better. <laughs> I haven't checked my blood pressure in ages, but it used, before I was sick, it was 90 over 60 because I'm a runner, you know? So now it's just like, it's so hard for me to read things, to listen to things that are talking about why we all need to exercise. And it's like, <laughs> Okay. Yeah. And I think that that's just a real honest, transparent vulnerability in this, isn't it? Like we're not the first people to experience this as we know from other conditions. And I, and I, we, we've heard other people say, you know, why didn't we know about this before? And, you know, welcome to the club and stuff. And I think that it's, I suppose it's just, it's, it's a new landscape for us. And even though we may have known it before, or we may have been aware of it, living through it just feels so different now um when you've been so focused on the exercises medicine mantra and knowing how important it is for so many health conditions and then really not helpful for other health conditions yeah and i think with us with long covid at least for me what's been really hard too is there's so much unknown where it's not like Mm a different medical condition where there's a good body of literature. We kind of understand to some degree, you know, what, what's expected or any sort of like injury. <laughs> that's, that's so hard. Like, well, what do I do? What am I supposed to, so it's, I feel like so many of us, we do it's trial and error. Let's try yeah. some stuff. Let's see what happens. Or, you know, this morning we, there was the post about like what vitamins or supplements like, well, we'll try, like I'm taking a daily multivitamin not going to hurt me. I don't know if it's helping. We're all just absolutely desperate to be better and we'll do anything, won't we? I mean, like we're, we're like, like, yes, the supplements, I rattle as I walk around my house because I'm taking everything I can. (laughs) I mean, like if someone recommends it, I'm on it. I'm on it and I'm on it because I want to be better and I want to be back to where I was. Um, And, you know, so many people have talked about the Corona coaster, the ups and downs (laughs) roller coaster of coronavirus. The, the, The major thing about it, as you rightly said, is we are living through 
the evolution of this brand new disease. And even though the symptoms may be similar to other things, yeah. um, the disease is new and so is the presentation. And so is the evolution of classifying and characterizing these presentations. And we're still shooting in the dark in terms of treatment modalities and interventions. Yeah. So yeah, we're our own guinea pigs at the minute, aren't we? Yeah, I, one of the things that I've been trying to manage, I, I don't even know the right words to use for this, is what I think is costochondritis, where I get this pain and it's like movement specific, like having to anything here, like bothers me lifting. So frustrating. <laughs> I could go on forever about this, but I really toned down like, all right, how can I modify things in the clinic? So I'm not having to move stuff as much. It's stuff at home. I used to pick up my dog, Roxy, who's like 64 pounds, just as an exercise. I stopped doing that. Um, and it was like, it calmed down. And I, um, did a zoom with a physio who's helping me with some breathing exercises too, trying to get into if I'm always apical and like hyperventilating, which I didn't realize I was doing for a while. Like I need to come back in anyway. And then I went to the supermarket with my husband last weekend or two weekends ago and literally picking up the basket and putting in a cart is getting heavy. Just that flared it up immediately. Mm -hmm. And then I had to take everything out of the cart and put it on the, on the counter. I'm like, this, why? Like <laughs> I, I rested it for so long and yeah. no it's, idea. It's it's the multidimensional, episodic, and unpredictable nature of living with long COVID that just makes it so difficult to keep optimistic, but also to, to know when you're better. Because there's, yeah. there's so much out there now, whether it be anecdotal reports or even um, the most recent, you know, for example, the most recent study that was done by people living with long COVID in terms of characterizing it, over 3000 yeah. people uh, were involved in that study. The, vo the volume of people that had experienced relapses and reported that, it's just yeah. so difficult, isn't it? Because it sounds like you've put in place so many different strategies to modify life whether that be in terms of activity modification so uh, reducing exertion and pacing whether it be uh, workplace adjustments that are reasonable adjustments mm -hmm. to try and help you work also uh, adjustments in your day-to-day -day activities to try and limit symptom exacerbation like you said with the costochondritis the, the the chest pain that you've been experiencing between the ribs and the sternum um and so you know there's so much that you've done and yet still the persistent symptoms are there yeah. and they creep in and creep out of your life and yeah. it's it's really difficult isn't it one of the this is really hard um oh, i'm gonna forget his name now but on twitter you saw the post um the guy that had relapsed after 45 days yeah i know um, that was one where um and i'm sure other people who were like me where i'm like that was like my hope, like I was following him and like, wow, okay, so this is possible, we think. And then he just had this relapse and, you're like, and, and then I'm sure he's wondering like, what caused it? Who knows? And I've, seen, I've said that with patients who have, with orthopedic things, with pain, and they come in and like, they're looking for the one thing that caused it when it wasn't an acute fall or something obviously like that. I'm like, sometimes it's not, there's, you know, other things might've been going on. It's just little things here and there. And you, for whatever reason, you find like that last straw which is where we are, but it's just so hard when I'm on the other side of that information. I know. But, but, trying to like understand. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. Like the, it's that multifactorial cumulative effect that makes it so difficult to therefore pinpoint sometimes um, factors that might be the trigger for change or relapse or episodes or whatever we call it yeah. you know I, yeah. I must admit like I'm getting a bit sensitive around the word relapse at the minute um I, I, don't, I, I, I think know. it's totally personal I, I just feel that relapse sounds a little bit um 
static and permanent and I don't quite like it I've been going for like my episodes uh because it it feels like yeah. it then come back up and it, it I don't know for me it's totally um yeah. neuro-linguistic in the sense of like there's optimism still in the word but like it just makes it so difficult it, to keep going and and recognize the triggers with these episodes yeah. but I think you know you mentioned it earlier on and I want to come back to it which is the incredible value of peer support in that recognizing you're not alone and seeing other people's successes and challenges makes such a difference in terms of realizing you're not alone in this you're not isolated you've got opportunities for support um and and camaraderie yeah and i think especially i mean i speaking with anybody going through this i think is helpful but especially with other physios, because I think in general, we kind of have similar personalities. You know, many of us are very driven, very type A. Um, and it's, it was, it's been tricky because especially for me, I didn't have, I wasn't able to get a PCR test back in March. I didn't qualify. Um, so when people like question you, like, well, how do you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I have these symptoms. I lost my smell for a day. So we're going to assume this is COVID and I sound just like everyone else, but having that extra validation, like yes, these are other healthcare professionals that we all have the same kind of baseline knowledge within healthcare um, and how the body works. And we're all reporting this and it's not to dismiss other people who are not in healthcare experiencing symptoms. But for me, I found that so helpful because I kept finding myself saying like, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. This is going on. There's, this is a thing. And like, it's not visible, which, you know, I'm not limping or something like that when people understand, but when you have this thing that's not visible and there's not, a treatment, like thinking about my sister with cancer, like, okay, you have cancer. This is what we do. You know, there's chemo, she had surgery, but we don't have that. Um, and so sometimes I think it's hard for other people to grasp. So having this group of people now that are other physios that understand not only the symptoms, but now trying to get them to work with these jobs we have that are not sedentary jobs by any means, these jobs where we're trying to encourage other people to exercise and be healthy. It's just nice knowing that, that there's a whole group of people that understand exactly what I'm going through. Um, and that we also are good sounding boards for each other because, um, that while we're trying other, you know, we're open to learning and trying, we also have the ability to say, that's not a good idea or that's not. (laughs) (laughs) Rain it in. Come on. (laughs) Yeah. That's Oh, that's a challenge too. And do you know what, actually, like there, <laughs> there, there are some papers now that are coming out that are talking about the importance of honoring people's story and in, in the sense of validating people's experience, even within the current climate of an absence of interventions or treatments or even knowledge of the etiology as to what's going on. Because there are lots of people that are experiencing dismissal, um, particularly in healthcare systems, um, around their symptoms, uh, whether that be that they've, like you said, not not had a diagnostic test in terms Mm -hmm. of COVID, but you've got all of the symptoms that everyone else with long COVID says they've got. So, you know, that, that dismissal is there. And so the, the, the importance and the value of honoring people's story and validating their experiences is, is, is beyond uh, measurable. Yeah. And that's something I've enjoyed learning more about as a physio over the past few years, my background, starting in sports medicine um, as an AT, there was so much, um, an AT? like, Oh, athletic trainer. <laughs> we're only, I always say we're only in a couple of countries. I'm an athletic trainer where there's so much like, oh, they're faking, they're malingering, they're soft, like that horrible mindset, like old school sports thing. Mm. Um, and now learning, the, learning this whole other side of things. And like before COVID, like 
if someone reports their pains a 10 out of 10, if I'm like this, it's 10 out of 10. That's it. That You said it. I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to tell you, no, it's not. You don't look like it, you know? So I'm, I'm trying to take all that information that I've learned over all these years and like apply it to me <laughs> and also try to be hopefully a resource for other people. And people have reached out to DM me or I'll see a physio tweet about something um, and say, and just kind of, you know, I'm here if you need to talk or, you know, one person didn't even know. He thought he was kind of on his own. It's like, oh no, there's a bunch of us going through this. Like, <laughs> no means We're all muddling through just you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's been, that's been so important to, to know who, whether it was in our group or just other people that I know, acknowledge and like understand this is the thing I'm going through. That people who have known me know this is not normal me at all. Like me just sitting home doing nothing is not typical. I used to never be home. It's <laughs> always running around doing everything. And that's, that's been so important because yeah, we don't have diagnosis. We don't have a definitive way to say that this is long COVID. This is a construct that we have come up with over the past few months. Yeah. It's, it's evolving, it's live, it's dynamic, it's all of those words. It's also unknown. So, um, yeah, it's difficult. Well, Daria, I was going to ask if, because uh, we've been chatting for nearly an hour. I mean, like, time oh, yeah. flies when you're having fun, right? <laughs> um, so I was wondering if you would share with us um, a key message that you would like to share as a runner, as a dancer, as a physio living with long COVID. What is your key message that you would really like people to hear and take away? Don't push. <laughs> and like so simple, the stop, rest, pace, which obviously I did not come up with. Um, but this, you have, for me and some people, it's having to change your shift of like, try harder. It's not that. It is not because you're not trying hard enough. I know sometimes when illnesses, we get this like warrior mentality um, mm. to overcome things, but this is not that. I have learned that the hard way and still am learning that the hard way. So the trying harder is actually doing less. When I'm trying, I'm sitting on the couch or I'm laying on the floor, um, like doing nothing. <laughs> As a, And it makes you feel like you're, you're giving up because you're not actually doing something. Um, but in terms of like physical and mental cognitive exertion, this the like trying harder, push through it. You can do it is not, you know, that's not what works in this case. No, um, no. And it's learning, I don't know how, but learning how to be okay with that. That wow, understand so, that's what needs to be done. So uh, three really important messages there, isn't there? So there's the, the, the stop rest and pace message, which obviously comes from MECFS communities. Um, there's, accepting the limitations and then also less is more in this in this instance so amazing so really important messages so thank you so much for that daria well i think that this has been a really really valuable podcast and i am sure there's going to be so many people out there that can resonate with your experiences particularly people that maybe dancers and runners or anywhere in between so i just want to say thank you so much for sharing your experiences and uh, i'm sure we will probably be doing more podcasts in the future as more yeah. topics come up but thank you very much for your time today um, and thank you for doing all this not only this podcast but that you have this whole thing going and with our long COVID physio group and on Twitter, because there's so much information that you are getting out and sharing that I don't know that it's, it's nice having everything in one place. Um, it's nice having, being able to find more people that we can connect with. So I, I don't know how you're managing this. <laughs> so thank you so much. This is wonderful to see. And it's been great to see how much traction everything is getting now, getting more likes, views and all that stuff that hopefully we're reaching a lot of people. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much.